In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this series is in cooperation with CINDA. And CINDA brings together leaders and businesses from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about CINDA under www.cinda.org. But we don't only bring together leaders and businesses from all over the world. We have listeners from all over the world also. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the series, let me tell you what the series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we have talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance, generational management, and business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live at 3 p.m. Pacific time or download us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And when you download us, you can listen to leadership success stories, You can stories that you can learn from, stories that will motivate, stimulate you, and possibly even be the key to your success. Now, I invite you to connect with me. Please send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something for useful for yourself or your business. Now, on to what we're going to talk about today. Paul Vandermeer, author and engineer, is known for the quote, money makes the world go round. However, happiness greases the axle. Without this lubricant, life will seize. Now, most of, all know, most of us know this expression, but most of us only know the expression, money makes the world go round. And when you interpret that, you can interpret that money is very important. I mean, it is probably one of the most important or one of the essential things in life. And a lot of things couldn't happen without money. And it does solve a lot of problems. Now, I started thinking about this in preparation for this episode, and the other thing I thought about is money is an uncountable noun. This is because we can't say one money, two, one mon- two money, so it's uncountable. Now, you can count money. You can say one euro, two dollars, um, but we're counting currency and not money. And this actually makes the concept of money somewhat intangible, and that's where it all begins. Now, we all have different attitudes towards money, and we all have different practices when it comes to earnings, savings, and spending. And some practices are better than others, but these practices are learned. And with a worldwide economy, economic crisis right now, with national unemployment in the U.S., 
hitting 14.7% in May, and in Europe, in some European countries, over 14%, such as in Spain. Our guest today is an expert on money and the author of Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Divided. Now, he helps us make the concept of money tangible through best practices and tips. So Jonathan Diol is the author of Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals, Increasing Your Happiness, Divided, um, divide, he, has, he has happiness, and he is an expert in wealth management. Now, his company and his practice has provided families with comprehensive wealth management services, with employee retirement plans, and employee has helped employees and communities with financial literacy education and, and simple, low-cost, socially responsible investment schemes. As a California-based, fee-only financial advisor and long-term Buddhist, Jonathan is always bringing money and life together. His message is anyone can be financially successful. In our culture, financial success arises out of ownership. The goal of financial independence, therefore, calls for becoming an owner, whether you start a business yourself or accumulate shares of great business. And Jonathan is a great advocate for financial literacy education, and he is passionate about goal-focused and plan-driven finances. He lives in Berkeley Hills with his wife and two incredible children. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Kim. I'm excited to get going. Yeah, this is great. Um, so, you know, let, let's just kind of talk about money first, okay, in general. I mean, we all, we grow up with different views about money. Um, we observe, and we get, have different attitudes of money. Um, you know, how does that affect us as we become adults? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the interesting thing isn't necessarily that we just grow up with these, our parental money stories. The, the interesting thing is that we, we learn these money stories Precognitively, I mean, we we're learning about money before we know we're learning about lessons, and so it what you know as we become adults, what this means is it's very very difficult to unpack some of those stories. And, and that kind of that kind of happens. I mean, um, you know, when we're children, you know, uh, I, I, for some reason, there's that always that famous thing about you know, oh, your parents are fighting and they're fighting about money. Okay, um, or also, you know, I've seen in families, you know, when when somebody passes away, you know, the family starts fighting about money. Why why is it such a center of controversy? It's such a controversial subject. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish I could tell you, right? It's a great <laughs> question. Why is money such a huge part of the conversation? Why is it such a big part of our experience? I mean, that 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 precisely thing happened in my family. Like when my grandfather, when my mom's father died, uh, the whole family came together. He was a minister. The whole family came together and, and just kind of fought over what was left and what was what they could walk, you know, what they could take home. I, I ended up with his office chair. I was pretty excited about that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I think money money is part of it's the only thing we think about and use every single day of our adult lives that we never really understand. And it, it plays into our worst emotional and cognitive biases. You know, we end up valuing our lives based upon it and it doesn't provide the happiness we think it's going to, even when we finally have it. And that's why I think we see all these massive co controversies about it. 
and, and when you talk about, I mean, I, I can understand it because it is you, part, it's just there all the time. And it, it causes us a lot of stress also. I mean, um, why is money such a significant source of stress? Well, I think well, I think for a large part part of the population, it's a significant source of stress because they don't they don't have enough. Mm -hmm. uh, but then when you do have enough, it doesn't live up to the hype, and that adds to that stress. People people that don't always don't have enough always think that they're going to be better off when they finally have some more. And then people who finally have some more never feel like they're better off because of the money. Uh, mm -hmm. and I think the misunderstanding is is the belief that wow, more is better. Well, the right amount is the right amount. More isn't necessarily better. And you know, in my culture specifically, I'm in the U.S. You know, we we are a culture of more. Mm -hmm. And how do you figure out what the right amount is? <laughs> Good question. I mean, it takes some it takes some deep inner work and perhaps a financial plan. You know, and as I'm sure, as we talk some more today, we'll get we'll get into more of that planning stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you're trying to figure out what the right amount is and, and you go to a financial planner, it's OK. But money also is is quite a private subject. I mean, um, you know, in my family growing up was like, please don't talk to anybody about money. OK. Um, why is it? Why is that also that it's just we feel it's always so private? Yeah, you know there are actually a few. I don't. I don't know if you know this. The the fire bloggers out there, the Finnish independent retire early bloggers. They, they, there's a few of these guys that report and women that report on their income and their net worth on like a monthly basis, which is interesting. And that's that is until they start making real money, and then they hedge and they stop reporting it. And I think that there's a couple reasons for this. It is very private. There are different reasons. For many, it's a shame and embarrassment. You know, I don't have enough, so I'm embarrassed I don't have enough. I, uh, I, I'm embarrassed I don't understand money. I'm embarrassed about my role. I'm embarrassed about my income. But for others, it's, it is fear or embarrassment of riches. Like we have so much and, and I, you know, sometimes I feel a little guilty about how much I have relative to other people. And, and so we end up with haves and have nots in our, in our, in our culture basically pits those two against each other all the time. And I think that today, like today, live in the media, you're going to see you know, 24 hours of this conversation. And that's why it's private because everyone's, everyone's nervous about being judged about their money, whether they have it and they're judged negatively or they, they, they don't have it and they're, they're judged to be failures. They're, everyone's afraid of that judgment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I want to pick up on something you just said to, in this culture. Um, I'm, I live in Germany. Um, you're in the United States. Uh, you know, do, do different cultures have different attitudes towards money or is it just pretty much the same across the world no i, th I think there's uh, two levels of this right I, th I think there are definitely different relationships with money between cultures i, I don't think we're the only ones uh, but we are certainly the most adept at the more 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 game uh, in the u.s we, we use money to get more and bigger and better not all places where people do that so that being said we all do hope to attain a, a position of sustainable happiness i mean the philosophers are kind of universal and, and they've talked about this idea of happiness as the end goal of everyone. In the US, we, we make that a financial end goal, um, which is partially, at least partially to our detriment. Um, but this, we want this position of sustainable happiness or we want contentment and money actually can help us avoid some pain and provide some opportunity at the same time.
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, as we go through this economy, and I want to come back to that a little bit later in the show on investing, um, you know, what I said in the beginning, the, this, the U.S. unemployment rate has really reached, you know, the, the highest that it has since the Depression. Um, and you talk about, you know, you know, being maybe ashamed of too much, ashamed of too little. What is this impact that we're having today from this um, crisis doing on our attitudes towards money? Well, you know, in an ideal world, we would universally begin to save less and uh, uh, save more and spend less. Mm-hmm. And as a culture in, in the U.S. specifically, we may want to be reviewing our permanent social safety nets. And I think we're going to do both for a little while, but maybe we'll carry some of these lessons forward uh, and maybe we'll return to the old ways soon, like a few years maybe at most. There was a generation that graduated right as the Great Recession hit. And they're just going, they're just get, just now getting back to these lives, getting their lives back on track after the Great Recession. And I think they're learning very different money lessons than I learned. Uh, and they're having a much harder time finding, you know, consistent employment. And they're investing a lot less in, you know, stocks or the equity market. And they're going to have a much lower instance of wealth than boomers or Gen X. And I think mm-hmm. my, my fear is they take out of this, the combination of the Great Recession and the pandemic and the response to the pandemic and the levels of unemployment, um, they take out of that that the idea of capitalism is bad and that stocks are bad because uh-huh. those are just sort of measurements of things. Capitalism is an ism. It's not a, there isn't a moral compass to it. It's, it's just a thing that we use to measure commerce, the, the, the movement of wealth between people. Um, and and I, I worry that they take something out of this that's that changes their future successes. Um, and that's, I think this conversation is going to keep going for a long time. Yeah. And, and we do see that, don't we, Jonathan? I mean, I, you know, I live in Germany and I um, see from the older generation here that lived through the second world war. I mean, they've taken what they learned there, you know, they're, they're very parsed and, and, you know, eat everything on your plate, save under the mattress, don't put it in. So it, you know, it, it could be that from this situation that this generation takes some things forward, good or bad. Have you seen that at all? Um, or is that, is that what you're trying to, to articulate there? Yeah. I mean, uh, generations that are born in difficult times have a different experience of money and wealth and hardship and, and work. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to have a different experience of or feeling about those who are successful and those who are not successful. Um, right now in the U.S., we have we have a lot of, uh, and we're we're coming up on an election cycle, so we have a lot of conversation about, you know, who who should lead specifically the Democratic Party, and mm-hmm. and that's now been resolved. Like we know it's not it's going to be Biden. It's not um, it's not going to be Bernie Sanders, but that 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 whole conversation is going to be Biden or Sanders, is largely a, a one of, you know, do we want a, uh, a a a capitalist democracy or a social democracy? Right. That's a that's a different opinion about how the world works and how we all gain and benefit. And um, that it's it is unfolding now. It will keep unfolding. I think the younger generation skews tilts away from what we've done in the past. And Mm -hmm. I I think we need to be open to those changes. Uh, You know, a lot of a lot of places in Europe have done it differently than we have. Their populations are very, very happy. So you know, we can all learn from each other. I think, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. There's just, there's just a set of people that want to change things a little bit. Okay. 
good. Um, yeah, I I see that, and and living in Europe, I do see. You know, um, we have you know um, socialized healthcare and some other things, and it is quite different. But I, I'd like to come. We're going to take a quick, quick break, Jonathan, and when we come back, I really want to talk about. Um, best practices and investing and, and get kind of into the nitty gritty on um, how do you find that right amount and and what are some of the channels and ways you can do that. Uh, so for our listeners, we are today talking to Jonathan Dio and he's the best-selling author of Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Divided. He writes and speaks about the intersection between love and money. He has been investing for 40 years and has been a financial advisor for 25. Now, if you'd like to connect with Jonathan, first you can go to his website, mindful.money slash hashtag. And he's also on social media. On Facebook, it's under Mindful Money Plan. On Instagram, Mindful Money Plan. And on Twitter, Mindful Money. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can connect with me on leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda Academy. Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. Cinda holds digital conferences in Europe, in Europe and it is available 24 hours a day under Cinda Academy. Um, with that, we're going to take a short break and we will be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you understand the technology in and around your business? If you're like most people, probably not. Telcom Talk with Pat Pittman will help you understand the terms, regulation, and language of the telecom industry, from 5G to spoofing, and what all those taxes and fees really mean. We cover it all on Telcom Talk. We'll even bring up some of the legal issues that have become front and center due to the current COVID-19. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You 
are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And uh, today we are talking to Jonathan Dio, and he's a best-selling author of Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Dividend. And he writes and speaks about the intersection between love and money, and he's been investing for 40 years and been a financial advisor for 25 years. Now, he started his firm in 2001, and he's a big believer in financial literacy training and a big advocate for for financial standards. So Jonathan, just to, to um, you know, we talked kind of just on general philosophy about money. Uh, so um, my first question before we start to getting into the tips is, you know, do you think most people in the general public are educated about finances now or not? Um, unfortunately, no. Uh, there, there's, been a, there's been quite a few, you know, very broad surveys uh, that we've taken both in the United States and globally, and we've universally failed. We don't we don't understand things like compound interest or dollar cost averaging. We don't understand the psychological benefits of deferred gratification. We, we generally miss on these kinds of things, and and forget about the sort of the critical character traits of successful investing, like like discipline and patience, uh, and sort of a, a general belief in the future and resilience. Um, we, we don't understand very well. And it's one of those things like vitamin C. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's something you have to take every single day or on a regular basis so that it stays. Vitamin C flushes out of the body every day. That's why we take vitamin C on a regular basis. Um, you know, financial literacy education flushes out of the body every day because it goes up against the media and this, this crazy buy now, sell now, buy now, sell now, purchase, 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 purchase mentality. And, and the literacy you have just fades away in the face of all that media pressure. Mm-hmm. And and how do you think? I mean, we, do you think you should we should start with this with, with with you know children or high school? I mean, if you have an MBA, obviously you go through some you know financial courses and and financial training. But if you're not in finance, you you probably don't have enough exposure to it. How how do we change this? How do we educate people better? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. And I think it's something that we've tested in lots of different places. And I think that what's needed is starting probably in the second or third grade and, and revisit it on a regular basis, giving people age-appropriate education about money. Um, one of the things we do in my firm is we, we have education courses designed for high school students. We have education courses designed for early, um, you know, early career, mid-career, late career. And those courses uh, are, I think, really, really important. Oftentimes, people come to the come to our website, take one of the courses. And then what we do is everyone that takes a course, we usually give one away as well to, to somebody that's working at a, uh, going to school in a, in a um, uh, community college or someone from a uh, um, less economically able area. Um, we, wanna, we wanna support kids all over the place learning about money. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that's that's very very important, and you're right. Starting them young, so that they can um, learn about it and appreciate it, and and learn how to deal with it is important. And when you're doing that, um, in your in your book, you talk about um, uh, plan appropriate investing. Um, uh, can you 
can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's kind of that's kind of part of this whole education part, isn't it? What yeah. is plan plan appropriate investing? Well, well, plan appropriate is simple. It just it just means you're investing with the risk level that has the highest probability of bringing your planning goals to fruition without taking unnecessary risk. There's there's enormous volume of research that tells us that the really really smart money, the people who manage billions, the people who who try really hard to outperform can't outperform a simple index you know, in which they play. The, the, the smartest people with the best technology, the most access to both information and calculation power, gain no advantage in investing over the patient acquirer of a properly allocated set of index-based portfolios. It isn't buying the right thing at the right time that counts. It is buying the whole set of things and hanging on when it feels bad to hang on. That's that's why, you know, I talk about this a lot. That's why that um, emotional intelligence is so much more important than financial acumen. That's why building an investor's character and ability to be resilient in difficult times is so much more important than actually learning the, the math of finance. And for us internally, we talk about mindfulness as an incredible tool to this end. Mm-hmm. And so emotional intelligence, if, if you were working with me, would that be trying to, to, to work on my patience and to, to you know, understand you know, that the, the markets are going to, to fluctuate? And what, what do you mean by uh, emotional intelligence? So, recognize, so emotional intelligence for me starts with recognizing the limits of our knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we think and people trade that in our culture, people trade based on things they think they know. But the future is unknowable mm-hmm. and an emotionally intelligent person can sit with the anxiety of that unknowability and not not make decisions based on, yeah, I think this or this pundit said that or this might happen or you know, when you're thinking about long term investing, it's about probability. And there there's there are well researched processes, you know, diversification, asset allocation, rebalancing that allow you to just be patient and not force anything and that's again we go back to mindfulness as a great tool okay good and so if once you have that discipline what what about um you know there is timing i mean there are some things in planning and you know market timing and stock succession um you know how are they keys to success so for, for me i would say that they're not at all in fact mm-hmm. i think that's what the world tells us and i think that's what the world gets entirely wrong it, it, it uh-huh. you know, mark, Market timing and stock selection are not keys to success. We we just talked about it a little bit. Uh, no one can consistently time the market. No one can predict which fund or portfolio is going to outperform which other fund or portfolio over any kind of short period of time. It isn't about prediction. It, it can't be about prediction. Research proves this. It's about planning and sticking with that plan when it when it feels bad. Because it's whatever you do, whatever process you put in place, it's going to fall apart at some time. It's sticking with the process when it falls apart that brings you through. Okay. And you talk about, you talk about that in your book also, you talk about, um, you know, three simple investment schemes or plans. So what are, what would, what would be three things that plans that, you know, you would suggest what? Yeah. 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 So this is as opposed to Mm -hmm. folks who are going to try to pick stocks or time the market. The simple way, the way that works over time is, again, plan appropriate asset allocation, diversifying across lots and lots and lots of different holdings and sectors and geographies, and then rebalancing. You know, the, the act of rebalancing means 
hey, this thing that just went up, you know, it's likely not going to go up forever. I'm going to take some of the profits there. I'm going to invest in the thing that just went down, which is likely not going to go down forever. Mm -hmm. um, and that process of asset allocation, diversification, and rebalancing actually gets you where you want to go with a higher probability than all the guesswork and future prognostication. And and how important is diversification, okay, in this whole thing? Um, it, it, and what's its relation to risk? So diversification doesn't remove risk. Mm -hmm. What it does is it takes away the the individual security risk. So diversification for me is critical. And when I say diversification, I'm not talking about 500 companies or 100 companies. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about thousands of companies buying portfolios that are filled with thousands of companies. And this means you're not buying each company individually. You're not, you're not researching 5,000 companies. You're buying a, a fund that owns 5,000 companies, or you're buying a, you're buying an ETF that owns 5,000 companies. You're, you're, you're buying a whole bunch of stuff at once. And that's that diversification. What it frees you from is it frees you from, um, in this Latin, you know, just before COVID happened, just before Corona happened, we had the oil patch, all went down at once because the price of oil went to zero, literally zero. Price of oil went negative, and so all these drillers and all these companies that are that are involved in the energy sector got absolutely and totally crushed. If you're broadly diversified across all kinds of different sectors and companies, that hurt, but it was hurt. It hurt a little bit while everything else was less hurt. You know, oil companies are down 80, you're down 20, right? So that's that diversification. While it won't protect you from all the downside, it protects you from the major downsides from the big, big, big drawdowns. So w practicing that obviously helps you somewhat. Um, how do you know when to do this rebalancing? Okay. Um, because we're talking about, you know, be planning, sticking with the process, you know, when, when do you start to look at rebalancing? So it, in our office, we look at, there's a ton of research on this as well. And uh, we look at it twice a year on a calendar basis. And that's, you know, just January and July, you know, it's just a calendar basis. Whatever's up, we sell a little bit of, we buy stuff that's down uh, January and July. And that's, you know, you build that in. If it's not up too much, you're not going to sell it. It's got to be up a, a, a decent amount to get the benefit of it. And then if you see market dislocations, like we've saw in March of this year, you know, February, March, April of this year, then you might do a, we call it a trigger point. Um, mm -hmm. when the market, when one of the markets you're invested in moves 20% up or down, you might want to rebalance that, take advantage of the up or take advantage of the down. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, the third, coming to the third aspect on asset allocation. Okay. Um, you know, how do you do that? Do you need really a financial advisor? Um, how important is that to get that right and have somebody help you with that? So asset allocation is, I mean, we can, we can treat this very, very, very simply. If you're really, really, really aggressive and you can handle lots and lots of volatility, you know, you'll have probably a, a, a better long-term return, but you're going to go through massive zigs and zags. So that's like a hundred percent equity portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, if you're you know, a little bit more conservative, you want to, you want to actually have a more balanced ride, um, then you may want to have just 40% equity portfolio. So when I'm talking about asset allocation, I'm talking about how much as a percentage of your overall assets goes into cash, the fixed mm -hmm. income or the ballast, the safety, and then the equities or the stocks. And if the more stocks is the more aggressive, the more volatile, higher long-term return, um, the, the, the fewer stocks, you know, you have to save more to fill up the, fill that hole. So how we get to asset allocation 
is looking at a plan and a plan says, okay, I can, I can save this much. I can um, deal with this much volatility. And I have these li uh, lifetime expectations in terms of milestones and spending needs and retirement goals and those kinds of things. And you try to, you try to solve for the sweet spot between, you know, do I have to save a little bit more? Do I have to put up with a little bit more risk? Uh, or can I change some of my goals? And you balance those three things together and find that place where it works. And mm -hmm. if it doesn't work, you may have to take more risk. You may have to save more. Mm -hmm. and, and this is this is this is complicated, and it takes time. Okay, and um, and I know myself. I I don't pay as much attention to it as I should, um, but I have a financial advisor, and a lot of people. You know, I talk to a lot of people who who you know say, "Well, I read this on the internet, or I heard this on the news," and then they make decisions on you know on this massive amount of information we have out there, and there's so much information. It's almost information overload. How important important is a financial advisor and, and what role do they play in this? You know, it, it depends a lot on what that, what that advisor does. I mean, there's mm -hmm. probably five different categories of advisors. And I think Michael Kitsis does a great part on describing those five. Now, if you have like an old school advisor, and honestly, this is how I started, that is helping you select investments in time markets. Well, as we discussed, this is an impossible place to add honest value. Mm -hmm. uh, these practices are a commodity. Um, you may as well stick with a digital advisor. If that's what you're, if you're paying an advisor to pick mutual funds for you or to time the market, you should not pay that advisor. You can get that cheaper someplace else. Mm -hmm. um, however, if, if you have an advisor who's actually doing a planning process for you, who's actually going through and helping you look at your trade-offs, um, you know, do, do I want to retire with this income or do I want to help my kids with college more? If you have an advisor that's trying to help you understand what, what to value in life, what is important, what might actually lend to a higher percentage of, of uh, happiness for you long-term. If that advisor is going to put all those things into a plan and then help you build a portfolio that reflects that plan, and then, and this is where it gets really, really, really important, according to places like Morningstar and Vanguard, not only do they have to help you figure out what's important and then figure out how to, how to um, you know, make all those financial planning moves and build a portfolio, they have to help you stick with the portfolio. And that, when you, when you read the studies from Morningstar and Vanguard, that is the highest value a human advisor can add, that stick-to-itiveness when it's hard, which has to do with understanding what's going on, being able to explain to a client what's going on, what the upside is, what the downside is, what the risks are, what might happen next, and then holding them to their, holding their plan, their, their goals and hopes and dreams in their face and saying, this is what you said you wanted, we have a we have a well reasoned, well thought out financial plan to get there. By by making this decision, the 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 sell when everything is down, or or buy more of the really aggressive stuff, or you know buy the boat instead of saving for college. If you make this decision, you're going to hurt your long term plan. And reminding them of those things that they thought through very very well, and try to hold them on plan. That's the biggest advice uh, uh, help an advisor can provide. Yeah, and that and that's very important, and I and I would think that's actually really important right now in some of the times we're going through when everybody's getting nervous, um, regardless of what the markets are doing. But there's so much unemployment and everything, and we're going to take a short back break. And when I come back, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that, about you know actually kind of what's going on today and some advice. Um, on how to get through these times with our listeners. Um, and for our listeners, we're going to take a short break now. And we're listening today to Jonathan Dio. He's a best-selling author of Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness 
happiness dividend. And he writes and speaks about the intersection between love and money. He's been investing for over 40 years and has been a financial advisor for 25. He started his firm in 2001. And if you'd like to reach out to him, please go to his website. It's on mindful.money slash hashtag. Now you can also reach him on Facebook under Mindful Money Plan. On Instagram is under at Mindful Money Plan. And on Twitter, it's at Mindful Money underscore Ed. And if you have any questions, you can contact me also at the Leadership Beyond Borders at uh, gmail.com. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda Academy. Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold conferences in Europe. The next conference will be in October in Mallorca. And they also have webinars, podcasts, and white papers online 24 hours a day under www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you understand the technology in and around your business? If you're like most people, probably not. Telcom Talk with Pat Pittman will help you understand the terms, regulation, and language of the telecom industry, from 5G to spoofing, and what all those taxes and fees really mean. We cover it all on Telcom Talk. We'll even bring up some of the legal issues that have become front and center due to the current COVID-19. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. 
back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking to Jonathan Dio, and he's the best-selling author of Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Dividend. Now, he, Jonathan does a lot of writing and a lot of advising, and he writes and speaks about the intersection between love and money, and has been investing for 40 years, and he's been a financial advisor for 25, and he started his firm in 2001. And, and Jonathan, um, before, before the break, um, we, you talked a little bit about finding the right thing for you and a, a, and a financial advisor should be somebody that helps you stick to a plan and find the right path for you. And we're we're living in kind of uncertain times now. Um, almost everybody I talk to is, is quite nervous uh, because of the actual situations. Um, you know, even though the markets aren't doing too many crazy things, they're, they're worse, you know, they go up and down, people have unemployment. Um, what do you make of these times and just in general, okay, from, from a financial advisor point of view? You mean specifically the COVID times? The COVID times, yes. Yeah, yeah um, you know, COVID, I, the reality is, you know, I hear this word all the time, unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented. And the reality is while the specifics of every scenario, be it the dot-com, be it 9-11 in the United States, be it the Great Recession, or be it COVID. The specifics are always unprecedented. Um, and I heard the same words in each of those circumstances. Mm-hmm. The way it affects business, the, the recession expansion cycle, the way it affects humans on the ground, the loss of job, the loss of income, the we have to make some changes, find new sources of income, um, find reemployment, and the slow regain of that employment those things are almost always the same. They, sometimes they're accelerated, sometimes they're slowed down, but the process is very similar. So, so COVID-19 is gonna turn out, is gonna turn into a very, very painful short-term problem. In the long-term, you, you have to survive many of these sorts of things, recessions, whatever causes them. The, the key is survival and getting back to your planned savings as quickly as you can. This may involve a change of jobs. It may involve doing some consulting work on the side. It may involve, you know, doing editing work. It may involve putting up a profile on Upwork and doing some uh, a side gig. It may involve taking on extra work. You know, we're all in this, but we aren't all working the same way towards our goals. My question: If 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 you lost your job or are suffering because of COVID nineteen, is is what are you doing to help you? What, 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 what are you learning that's new? Are you working on your own well-being? Are you exercising more? You, so you can't work. Are you exercising more? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you learning new skills? Are you increasing the things that will, be, will help you be successful on your job when you get back, help you get raises? Are you learning new things? Or are you on social media and watching Netflix? There's a choice that we're all gonna, we all have to make here. Um, and in the meantime, between now and when we get through this, the, the, the damage has got to hit somebody's balance sheet. And I think we're looking at, especially in Germany and the United States, the, the federal governments in both of those locations are, are really spending so that the damage hits their balance sheets. Is mm-hmm. it perfect? No. Are there going to be people that fall through the cracks? Yes. But you can still make decisions and, and, and do things to benefit yourself 
when this is over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, especially here in Germany, and, and um, I'm watching, of course, the German market a little bit more than the U.S., you know, we there is some really great programs going on. I, and um, I haven't, what you said about the process is the same. Um, is there anything that we maybe learned from the dot-com, from 9-11, okay, um, that that we can, you know, implement today if, if the processes are similar? Yeah, so absolutely. Well, there are things we could have learned, (laughs) but what what we notice is we, we don't learn. And this is, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we talked earlier about the difference between the, um, market focused performance driven person and the goal focused and planning driven person. The reality is that market driven performance driven person is always going to respond, be reactive to markets. And the lesson that we should learn is every time the thing tanks, it comes back. But that we forget that. And so every time it tanks, you see all kinds of people and all kinds of articles and all kinds of media telling us, run for the hills, sell everything, when that's never the right thing to do. There's, there's a certain amount of selling that has to happen because, well, we have to, we've got to backfill our incomes. We don't have an income. I got to pull from my assets to survive. That makes sense. But selling and going to cash in dot-com, in Great Recession, or through COVID has never been a good choice. And yet, we always do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, we're not learning. And that, and that brings me to another question that I've always been curious about is, um, you know, and it comes to financial habits and in the United States, especially, uh, as the amount of debt that is you know, personal debt on the human level. As a financial advisor, um, do you deal with that with some of your, your customers? Um, do you talk to them about it? Because it, it just seems to me everybody, there's so much credit card debt and other debt in the United States, much more than I see in Europe and some European countries. Uh, what's your comment on that? Yeah, so, so there's a, a, couple, a couple quick thing, uh, things about, about debt. First, the, the headlines hide a lot of um, important information. So yes, you know, uh, credit card debt is incredibly high, and so is student loan debt, and and you know your 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 signature loans for cars, and and yeah, debt is high for sure. Um, but in the context of the assets and the income, it's not as high as it appears. In other okay. words, there's a lot more people. And so, yeah, each of those people, the average debt level has gone up a little bit, but not as much as the aggregate debt level. So in chapter 23 of my book, I talk at length about how to get rid of some of that high interest debt. Um, And it it doesn't make sense necessary to look at this once again without context. I I see a lot of headlines about the size, um, but put it in context. If I owe $60,000 and I'm broke and I'm broke and I only make $60,000, then that's not good. But if I owe $60,000, and I have $10 million of assets and an income of $500,000, who cares? Mm-hmm. Yep. In, in terms of U.S. debt, in terms of the level of the deficit and the debt of the country, we have yes, we have a bigger debt than we've ever had, but we have enormous asset value and enormous mm-hmm. income potential. Mm-hmm. And those things kind of cross, they, they cancel each other out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's putting into perspective. And um, when you talk about asset and incomes, uh, another question that, that comes to my mind is, um, is retirement planning. Okay. Um, 
it seems to me that that you know some of us think about it, some of us don't think about it. Um, are there any best practices for that that you can give a, tips we can give us? Yeah, you gotta, you gotta. I mean, the first step is you gotta think about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you you gotta go through this process of, um, you know, what is my income now? When I retire, or actually, better, what are my expenses now? When I retire, what will my expenses be? And that includes both a, you know, maybe I won't spend as much because I'm not buying work clothes and I won't drive as much. It also includes things like maybe I'll spend more because I'll travel. It includes things like, well, it'll be more expensive because of inflation. So what what expenses now? Expenses in the future. What's that inflated value of those expenses? And then you got to think, okay, if that's going to be my expenses, what are my fixed incomes? Am I going to have social security? Am I going to have you know, a, a rental property that's going to spin off some income? Am I going to have alimony? What, what are those fixed, a pension? What are those fixed sources of income? And then what's my gap? If I know, if I can project what my expenses are going to be, and I know what my fixed income is going to be, then I, I know the gap. And I have to, I've got to understand what that gap is. And I have to know how much in assets I will need to spin off an income to fill the gap. And once you've done that, you know what your number is. And then you have to act you've got to do the stuff to fill the portfolio that you have the assets that can spin off the income to fill the gap it's just then you got to put that plan into process mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and when you're when you're doing this retirement plan do you ever give certain advice to different gen, le, level gen, level uh, generations for example you know if you're in your 30s um a lot or if you're in 20s they not even think about it in their 30s or in their 40s or 50s um you know do you have to think about it more or speed up the process of putting that to the side yeah i mean the, the reality is the best thing the best thing we could do is think about it in our 20s because yeah. it's never it's never about and we this is this is a, a catchphrase right it's not about timing the market it's about time in the market and if you do this when you're 20 Oh my, yeah. it's, it compounds over, you know, 20 to 70 say, cause I think retirement ages are probably going to go up. That's 50 years of compounding, 50 yeah. years yeah. of compounding. If you start when you're 50, you get 20 years of compounding. Yeah. And there's a, there's, a, there are simple Excel spreadsheets that show you the benefits of putting money away when you're young. Um, however, the reality is we uh, don't do it. We don't do it. So <laughs> Right? It, it takes someone to be 45 to start thinking yeah. about, oh my God, I haven't planned. I got to yeah. start planning for retirement. <laughs> exactly. And and what about, you know, in this whole planning, you get to retirement, um, you know, a lot of people kind of wait and say, oh yes, um, this is this is a horrible thing to say, but, you know, maybe I'm going to inherit this. I mean, are there any rules for appropriate tips to passing um, money or assets down to, to generate other, gener to the next generation? Yeah, this is this is actually one of my favorite topics because you know the 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 tip the this is the big tip right this is the big reveal, the thing you have to do if you're going to leave assets is you have to prepare the next generation to receive them. You know, it's like if you if you have if you I don't know American football, um, which is not something I'm a huge fan of, but it's a good analogy. In American football, this is you know not preparing the next generation is sort of like having a great quarterback and having complete receivers that have no idea how to catch the ball. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And this one hits close to home for me. I get really passionate about it because, you know, I, I feel like I'm really good at what I do. And by really good, I mean, Socratically good. I mean, the reason I'm good is that I know what I don't know, that I know what I can't know. And my biggest fear is that I leave a whole bunch of money to my kids and they aren't ready. They're 12 yeah. and 15 now. 
So preparing them uh, is a work in progress, in a work in progress uh, at the moment. But it's really, it's my opinion, it's the last job I have on earth. It's the yeah. thing I have to do. That's the most important thing I can do. Was very important. You're right. So, uh, Jonathan, we're getting towards the end of our show. It's got. I I think we could go on for another hour, but unfortunately, we don't have that much time. So, just uh, in last uh, one last message for our listeners. Um, you know, I come back to that the quote from Paul Vandermeer, Von and you know, money makes the world go round, but it doesn't necessarily. It's not happiness. So, one tip for us for uh, listeners on finding a ha- healthy balance between money and happiness. What would you say to our listeners? So I think it's important first to get a little philosophical about it. Recognize that not everything that matters has a price tag. Then you have to decide among those things that might matter, which ones will matter to you. And then you got to build a plan that focuses on your resources. And then at the very end, you stop guessing, you start planning, and you stay mindful. Mm-hmm. Well, th- I think those are great words. And and thank you very much. This has been really, really insightful. And thank you for taking the time to, to talk to us today. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. It's been great. Yeah. And for our listeners, one more time, we've been talking to Jonathan Dio, and he's a best-selling author of Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Dividend. Now, he's, as you heard, he speaks about the intersection between happiness and money. He's been investing for 40 years, and he's been a financial advisor for 25. And if you'd like to reach out to Jonathan, please do go to his website. It's mindful.money slash hashtag and also you can visit his company on social media and on facebook it's at mindful money plan and on instagram it's at mindful money plan and on twitter it's at mindful money underscore ed so please do reach out to jonathan First, great advice. And if you have questions for me about this show, you can send me questions and comments at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now, this broadcast has also been brought to you by Cinda. Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. And Cinda holds conferences in Europe. The next conference will be October 11th to 14th in wonderful sunny Mallorca. And if you want more information on Cinda, go to www.cinda.org. They also have research, webinars, um, podcasts on their website. Now, please remember to listen to us and tune in every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you happen to miss us one week, then you can find us on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And for that, once again, thank you, Jonathan, and thank you, our listeners, for listening. And please tune in to us again next week. Thanks, Kim. Okay, thanks. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.